what a weekend of football in the Singapore Premier League right before we head into the international break. Goals galore at Jurong East as the White Swans ran riot against the Eagles. The Cheetahs got back to winning ways while the Jaguars sank their claws into the stacks. We'll review Game Week 11 as well as look ahead to what the transfer window might bring us. This is the SPL Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Raushan. And this is Farah. So Raushan, what have you made of Game Week 11? I think I'm back on track with predictions. That's what I made about Game Week 11. You know, I had my reputation was on the line at the start of uh, the season. I think I'm uh, going some way along to get it back on track. So I was quite pleased with that. And apart from that, quite pleased for Tanyo Paga, which we'll talk about later. You know nature is healing when Raushan is bragging again. <laughs> well done. So, Raushan, do you want to introduce who we have for this week? Yeah. Speaking of bragging, <laughs> uh, introducing a friend of the show, a very good friend of the show, Kide Kamis. It's excellent to have you back on. Your brother joined us from Indonesia last week, but we prefer you. Don't tell him. How are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm not from I'm not Indonesia. I'm now just from the streets of Pongol. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I mean the weekend has been crazy, yeah. Twenty goals in three matches. What a feast for the fans. And uh, you know, it's just a good way to end the league before the international break. Speaking of crazy, let's get straight into it because that Friday night clash was a 10-goal thriller between Alborex and Geylang International. And it keeps getting worse for the Eagles, doesn't it? Nurali's men fell 8-2 to Alborex at the Jurong East Stadium with the White Swans in control at the break thanks to Zamani Zamri and Kodai Tanaka's brace. But really, the gates truly opened in the second half with another five goals in 21 minutes. Sugita getting on the score sheet, Kobayashi with the brace, Tanaka completing his hat-trick before Ilhan Fandi wrapped up the route on his debut. Now, guys, I know we all expected Albrecht to win, right? Because there was no surprise there. But let's get really? straight. <laughs> maybe some people, maybe some might. Okay, so Ilhan, Ilhan Fandi, man of the match. What did we make of his debut? Kida, do you want to go first? I think it's a debut that every player dreams about. You know, you, of course, he didn't start, but when he came in, he absolutely turned. I wouldn't say turned the game around, but it made me. It made it more exciting. Like chances were created more, and then at the same time, uh, Gilang couldn't handle how he was uh, trying to influence his team to to score more goals, to create more chances, and then at the same time he kept it off with a, a good goal, a very calm goal, and uh, perfect, perfect for him, perfect for Alvarez, and uh, perfect for Alvarez to end the the week before the international break. Now, you know, I actually saw on social, people were saying that it felt like once Ilhan came on, it felt like he changed the dynamic of Albrex's attack and how they were going forward. Ramshan, do you think he's in a better environment now where he can improve even more? 100%. 100%. I think Ilhan has already uh, shown a lot of promise and the move to Albrex made sense. I think there was a lot of excitement among the football fraternity about when he's going to make his debut, when he's going to eventually be part of the Albrex attack and Again, stepping off the bench and fitting in so seamlessly only bodes well for everything that stands ahead of time, right? And we talk about the goal, yeah, superb composure, but the assist as well. I believe he was back killing it to set up for himself, but still the link-up play for the other striker to come in and run on it, it all shows that 
early on already, there's so much promise with Ilhan moving there. And in a day and age where you could be tempted to move to LCS, you could be tempted to move abroad as Ilhan's brothers are applying their trade abroad. I think Ilhan has made the wise choice to sort of conquer the SPL with a move with a team to, like Elbrex. And I think over the rest of the season, we are going to see a lot more of Ilhan's promise. And I expect him to be a crucial part as Elbrex look to run the Lion City Sailors close for that title. I think we can all agree that Ilhan had an excellent debut, right? And before we get into Gelang and how awful they were on the night, um, like I said, I mean, we all expected Elbrex to win this, but did we see that scoreline coming at all? Yeah, definitely not. I think maybe a comfortable three-goal margin or four-goal margin would have been uh, uh, what everybody expected. But, you know, 8-2, the big scoreline, uh, definitely not. But then again, if you look at the balance of the game, especially in the first half, it was, it, of course, it was it tipped into Elbrecht's favour, but it wasn't that bad. You know, Gelang didn't play that badly uh, in the first half. They came in to... To, to half-time at 3-1, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, uh, I think in the second half, they came out fighting. They managed to score a goal and then gave them a bit of belief. But it was a series of errors, individual errors, especially during set pieces. And I get, I think uh, a few weeks back, we were talking about Ballastia conceding from set, set, set pieces. But this time around, Gelang was awful, really awful in, in defending set pieces. And, they can't blame anybody else but themselves because set pieces are individual responsibilities. You don't mark the space, you don't mark the, the, the man, you definitely get caught. And at the same time, I thought that Zaiful had a pretty horrible game in between mm. the state, yeah? Especially somebody from or, or somebody of his caliber, of his experience, shouldn't make those kinds of mistakes, especially during the set pieces, defending set pieces. Now, I, I have to say that I think last week I said Gelang were going to get steamrolled, but I again did not see that like that scoreline coming. The most I thought was like 4 0, 5 0, you know. But now Gelang, I think, winless in nine, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, but winless how, in nine. Right? How much worse can it get for them? Because now, let's be honest, Young Lions have three games in hand. Gelang on six points, Young Lions are on three points. The, I, I, it just doesn't look good, does it? I mean, the sky's the limit for how bad Gilang can get at the moment. What's worrying for me is, like Kide touched on, they were within touching distance, first half 3-1, 3-2 at some point, within touching distance, then they just capitulated after that. And I think that is worrying because, yes, you're taking that happening in a game, but as the season goes on, as they struggle for wins, I feel they might almost give up on, not give up on the season, I don't think any professional player will give up on the season, but they're going to be in such a bad rut that they're going to struggle to get out of it. So, I do worry for Geelang, and if Young Lions win their game in hand and Geelang find themselves rooted to the bottom, them, then it's going to be mentally very challenging to get off the top and it will be very very embarrassing for a club like Geelang to finish below a developmental side who have problems of their own that developmental side has been discussed and there are problems with the young lions as well so for Geelang to finish below that it's going to be it's going to be a dark dark day in Geelang's history I believe I think if you look at it in a technical sense or technical sense they are practically doing the same thing over and over again. They wasn't. They are not going to change the way they play, and they are not improving the way they play. So it's it's not it's it's not something that uh, the technical team is coming up with something different. So I'm not talking about totally different. It has to be to be the same or rather following the game model that Noali wants to play. But you have to make certain tweaks 
and certain adjustments to make sure that you are you apply each game uh, in a different way. You know, you look at how they set up the whole time. It's always the same. They try to build up. Zuka is creating the midfield. And then, you know, uh, they are trying to play the combinations play with Zuzul, who, to me, at this point of time, who is he's not a striker for combination plays. He needs that space behind for him to run to. And then there's not, not much uh, penetration from the width, from Hazwan and whoever is playing, Khairi, uh, Khairi or, or Ahmad Shahi, or for example. But, you know, he's basically doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for the best. And then when you hope for the best with that, that amount of uh, predictability, uh, the whole the opponents know what they're going to do, and definitely they're not going to get anything out of it. And they, I think, at this point of time, they they are not scoring a lot of goals. Yeah. You you make you make mention of all of that, but and it's no surprise that a lot of their fans are not happy with how they're playing and not happy with the man in charge, Noali. How long does he have left? I think he has a lot of time because he at this point, if you look at it in a different angle not i don't think any local wants to have a shot at that that post because okay so you're not applying for the job huh? no 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 way just clarifying that okay I, I, no way uh, the the support from the management the support from the top is basically the same all throughout the years right so in a sense there's no injection of money, the budget mm. is always the same, so you're always going to get the same kind of players, the same type of players. There's no direction. Ambition. Even, there's no direction. There's no, even if there is a direction, the direction is only being seen by maybe the chairman itself or, or the advisor. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult situation for them and I doubt that uh, they are going to change the man in charge because there's a lot of trust in him, but at the same time, if you look at it, you look at it as a different point of view. He has basically achieved nothing this season. Right? He's just one win and nine straight losses. And the losses that they have uh, had, of course, certain games were quite close. Certain games they played really well. But at the end of the day, it's still zero points on the board. Mm. Uh, mm. Except for that, that, that win and a few draws here and there. But yeah, again, in a normal real uh, football world, he would have been out already. But for Gelang, is always very special. Very different how they do things. So he's still going to be there. And uh, rumors on the ground, I heard that he's still going to be staying for quite a long time. Oh wow! I, I, as far as I thought, I thought this would be the last year, last season we see uh, Coach Nali at the helm. But it's interesting to know. But to your point, Kide, yeah, I think it comes from upper management. They had a general manager who joined the club at the start of the season. He left before the season even started, and I think that just set the tone. I don't know if there's been a replacement. And overall, if your if your bosses are okay with the results, then you will you are secure more or less, right? And then it begets the question of is there ambition? If things are not going wrong, they are not learning from previous matches. And like you say, every match is still the same. So yeah, it, it looks like a long, long season ahead for Geelang International, honestly. It's a tiring yeah, season. It's gonna be a very tiring <laughs> season for them. I, I feel for their fans, but I think we can all, the three of us can agree, and I think many, many more of us can agree that Geelang are in big, big trouble, and Elbrex, on the other hand, are lethal, and they're going to be, they're going to keep, I feel like they're going to keep delivering this kind of performance. At least we would love to see this kind of performance throughout the rest of the season. But let's move on, shall we, to the next clash on Saturday night, where Haugang finally got back to winning ways, a much-needed win for the Cheetahs. Yamazaki opened the scoring for the host before Hoshino equalised for the Tigers, but Haugang were pretty much in control for the second half with Hafi Sujat putting their
them back ahead before Kiki wrapped up all three points on the night. So guys, Haugang with their third win of the season only, you can say only, but much needed before the long break, right, Raushan? I think so. I think they deserved it. I think they've been showing fair bits of promise in the previous game weeks with a couple of draws, I believe, and it's nice for the coaching staff because they're clearly trying something different. We talk about Gelang not trying much. I feel Haugang have been trying very much to try and make this work. So fair play to them. They got what they deserved and deservedly so three well-taken goals. I think Kaishu has been trying that shot from outside the box for weeks on weeks, man, and he finally went in for him. Hafiz Abusuja just came back from injury, got a goal, and I think Kiki Krychek has been busy, so eventually for him to get the goal. And I, I expected this result because I think Haugang eventually will come into their own. The only problem is now that they've got a win, they have a break in momentum, so whether they can pick up again, that's going to be a problem. So for me... It'll be interesting to see, but happy for Haugang that they finally got their third win of the season. Kider, what do you think? I think uh, Haugang are more or less uh, a team in rejuvenation. Right? They have their players coming back. Some of them are still not 100% fit, but at least they are making the bench. At least they are not totally out. Uh, you see Hafiz, is, I think is his second start, if I'm not wrong playing the game and you can see compared to the game against Ilang, this this game he was so much better. Uh, I think the, the run of 90 minutes gave him a lot of uh, good. And then at the same time, uh, at this point of time, the, the, the technical team has the the liberty of uh, you know choosing the players based on maybe performance in training or performance in matches about who's starting. Of course, they don't have Andre at the moment, but they have they still have able replacements to come in to take over his place. And uh, unlucky for Chawal, I, I really don't know what happened to him. I think maybe some recurring injury or something like that. But then again, the game was... Uh, honestly, I didn't catch the full match. I saw highlights of it. And then I, I saw Twitter uh, being mentioned about how, how uh, bad the quality of the game was. And then at the same time... Uh, I, I talked to certain people within the two two club and then uh, they I saw post-match interviews with Akbar as well and Akbar wasn't really happy with how the team was performing. It, basically, in terms of quality, it, it was a ping-pong match. Right? You could see that, you know, uh, first 30 minutes, Hagan controlled the game in that sense, you know, created a few chances here and there. Then after that, they, uh, Balassie resorted to, to long balls and then Hagan followed suit. So it became like, you know, one ball from the defensive line of Hagang straight to the defensive line of Ballester and all that sort. So it wasn't much of quality, but at this point of time, Hagang don't really care about the, the way they play. They just want to win. You know, something that they can build on uh, moving forward. But at the same time, I also think that maybe Hagang has been a little bit different the last few games. They are not, I know with Mukun at the back, with uh, Anders at the back, it's difficult to play... Uh, build up, you know, you want to build up with these two players, it's quite difficult because of the qualities they have. So, I think they have they are changing it a little bit, they are making tweaks here and there, and then at the same time, they are catching uh, teams more on the break in, in transitions, which what they were good at last season, especially. And I think they are slowly trying to remodel their game to, to tweak to, to make sure that they try to win games and maybe a bit more less expensive so that they can go up the table at this point. But guys, isn't the question now how they're going to ensure they keep this going after the break? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the last time we bought a very lengthy break 
they got a much needed win against Young Lions, if I'm not wrong. And then after the break, they immediately went back to being what we like, you know, being how gang and, and losing. I think it. it depends on how what they do during the break as well. I understand that they are going to JDT to play, and they are not going to mm. playing the second team. They are playing the first team, uh, which is good also. And then at the same time. They have been unlucky with injuries, so if they are okay now during the break, during training, during the JDT match, they are not going to suffer any more injuries. I think they should be fine. I really think they should be fine. They should be fine, but it actually doesn't sound like it's going to get any easier, right? Because I think after the break, they play Alborex, and then but again, I I don't think they would earmark Alborex as a must-win game. Almost, you know what I mean? After they come back, uh, Kide Tashonik going to JDT and training is all about the AFC Cup prep already, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yes, Elbrex, they might lose. Chances are 60-70% chances are they're going to lose. But I don't think it will count much for their season. They will be fully focused on at least getting some respite in the AFC Cup, right? So I think all the off-season now, or the not off-season, break in the season now is going to be geared towards preparing the team for AFC Cup because it is a different level of competition. And with people like Mukun, who are going to be the keepers for that for that tournament, right? They're going to need to gear him up for that tournament as well. So I think the focus will solely be on the AFC Cup over these next couple of weeks for Auga. I think Zaino has already signed, if I'm wrong. Ooh, has he? I, I if I'm not wrong, I think he's whether he's I mean at the time of at the time of recording, uh it's it's still May. But by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be first June when the transfer window would have officially opened. So that's good news. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm not wrong. Uh, that's what I heard. But I'm not, I mean I can't confirm 100 percent I also heard Zaino is not the only ex-player coming back. Not necessarily to Haugang, but a player who's been without a club might be coming back as well. That's what I heard as well. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All these transfer rumours we'll touch, we'll touch on a little bit later <laughs> towards the end of the pod. But I think before we move on though, what do we make of Balestia's performance? Very, very quickly, Kidir, what do you make of uh, Balestia on the night? I think uh, the post-match interview sums up whatever Balestia performed the other day. I think... Uh, Akbar was wasn't very happy with how the team performed because he was mentioning that yes they have to they, they made silly mistakes they considered goals and then they had to chase the game but it's how they chase the game is the 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 issue at this at this point of time you know they they could still play the way they want to play trying to build up to the attacking turn and then create chances from there but they didn't they just moved the ball forward and then expected Jumbo to do something because Jumbo is really good in the air. Uh, and that is something that uh, Akbar wasn't happy about. And at the same time, for me, I would expect this. I mean, uh, Balestier is not a very consistent team. You know, they have one good week and then maybe the next week is not so good. Like I said, it's the certain positions are not being uh, occupied by quality players. And that's why they have these kind of issues. And they also lack the personality in the team there are a lot of young players and then the, the, the team is always rotated by a few leaders you can see different captains going out uh, every single week it's not really an issue in that sense rotating captains but at the end of the day the the others who are not the wearing the armband are they really you know gripping the team together when things are getting tough and at this point of time they, they just came back from two runs of losses if I'm not wrong mm. yeah, so is how now they regroup again and then get out there to play against uh, the, their opponent. I can't remember who. Lion City Sailors are their next opponents. 19 June. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's something that they have to really think about. 
Right, I feel like Kidir summed it up very per- like perfectly there about Valencia. Roshan, do you want to take us into the last match of the weekend? Oh, definitely. I've been waiting for us to talk about this game. This really was a game of one half where Tanjung Paga made it two wins in two after beating Tampines. An informed Tampines as well. 4-2 at home. Rio Nishiguchi scored his third brace of the season with Rushaidi and Shodai also finding the back of the net for the Jaguars. While Fredaus Kasman and Mehmedovic made the score sheet for the Stags who fell to their second defeat in a row. Now, seems a bit weird for me to ask myself this question, but I said last week that Tanjo Paga were going to win as opposed to Farah and Kairul who said it will be a draw. But I thought they they went out and showed that they are Tanjo Paga and they have something about them. Kitty, how much do you enjoy the game? I was on comms the other day. Of course, when, when, I, when I was watching the game, I didn't expect the game to go that way. You know? Because Tampines is still a quality side. Especially up front, even though they lost Yase to suspension, they still have a lot of ability in the team. But again, if you look at it on the flip side, Tanjung Panga, I mean, I got to give credit to the technical team. I got to give credit to the, the, the 11 that is playing and also the, the bench because they were fiery and they were giving the extra bit of passion that is needed to play these kind of games. And they had a game plan. They knew what Tampines uh, couldn't do or couldn't couldn't uh, control and couldn't manage and they really strike the space, they really strike the players that they, they knew would give them a lot of trouble or rather would give themselves a lot of trouble to capitalise on it. You know, Rio, uh, Shodai played a very good game, very, very counter-attacking game. They had five players in defence with three players in midfield just defending. The moment they get the ball, they knew that the first ball out was to either Rio or to space behind the defensive line or Rio to do to do it on his own. Yeah, Rio seems to be able to do it all, right? He can yeah, hold yeah. the ball up. He brings other people into play. I think there was a goal he set up for Rushaidi. He was just yeah, toying yeah, with the defence. Yeah. Then he found Rushaidi in the middle. Rio Nishiguchi, complete striker, perfect for Tanjo Paga, no kidding? Yeah, I think with the way that Tanjo Paga wants to play, I think he's perfect. He's strong. He's, he's strong on the ball. He's strong to screen the ball. He's strong uh, running 1v1 towards defenders. And uh, he's, I mean, he has what, 11 goals at this point of time? Yeah. So, yeah, I think 11, yes. Yeah, uh, 11 after the two that he scored. And you see the goals that he scores are, are all similar goals you know, from counter attacks. Yeah. You know, it's either him going alone or he gets a second ball, especially the mistake that Ryan Sanita and Yamashita made. He just took it and then, you know, uh, 1v1 with goalkeeper, most probably he's going to be scoring that one. So, in terms of game plan, in terms of uh, how things uh, were at the most efficient Tanjo Baga was was it uh, that they, they you know he, they, they really did it they had eight, eight or nine shots on goal on target mm. four four goals came out of it it was nice to see it was exciting to see because there were goals and then in the second half they managed to control the game without having possession of the ball and I think that mm. is something that is key you know Tampines was really short of ideas they couldn't do much they were shooting from distance and the ball and the ball is being played in between the lines. The, the defensive line of of Tanjo Paga managed it very well. Kupitovic was silent. Mm. He didn't he didn't do much during that game. So all in all, I think perfect performance from Tanjo Paga, except for the fact that they considered two goals right after his score. Mm. I do mm. have a question though. Um, do you think like Tanjo Paga now have a very clear identity with the way they're playing now? I, I think so. I think if they have all their personnel available to them, the team sort of picks itself. 
Kide Tashone, five at the back, three in midfield, and then they got two up front. And I think that is Tanjo Paga's strength in togetherness like that. But my question to Kide is, you touched on it there, the 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 predictable way that Tanjo Paga are going to be playing, right? Five at the back, three, and then two up front. Is that then going to be a problem for them because teams are going to then find them out without any surprise? You know what I mean? Yeah, eventually uh, teams will know how to defend against their transitions. They, mm. they will position themselves better, closer to the areas where they are going to lose the ball. And then at the same time, nobody, I don't think any team would be more gung-ho than Tempris in terms of defending. Right? They have uh, Yamashita and Ryan Saniza playing two against two with Chodai and, and Rio. And Rio and that, yeah. that was a killer, I think. You know, and if they play against LCS, for example, they have Paris and Pedro, or maybe against lesser teams, they will put maybe three against two or maybe four against two with that, that, that two strikers that they have. So eventually, if, like I said during the comps, they are playing the probability game. You know, as mm. long as they try to play the ball up front, if they get one shot, Rio is clinical enough to finish games or uh, to finish the, the chances. But at the same time, they have to make sure that they don't concede. And the moment they yeah. concede, it gets very difficult for them because they need to score. They need to open up themselves. They need to, to venture up forward more, which uh, leaves gaps and spaces for the opponents to, to capitalize. And, uh, you know, they are doing this very well against teams like companies, but maybe companies had an off day in attack, especially that they, they really didn't, didn't uh, uh, create enough quality, high-quality chances. But... You know, it's just a one-off thing for Tampines, maybe. But against other teams, I think that uh, maybe 60%, 70% they are able to defend. It's just that maybe 30%, 40%, if they concede, it becomes a huge issue. Yeah. But at the same time, I also think that if they continue to be like this, they are real in for a shot for the AFT sport. AFC. Yeah, I think Tanjo Paga, the thing is, I feel they will show a bit more flexibility. I feel they have a few more cards to play because Shodai, started the season as a fullback, then now suddenly they are playing him up front. But that's also credit to Akram Azman who's coming to the team and provided able cover at fullback position, right? So I feel like with the technical staff there, with the the, the the team that they want to put out, there might be a few more tricks up their sleeve where they might keep teams guessing as the season goes on. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, if you look at the bench, they are not short on quality as well, especially mm. in the tank. Mm. They didn't put in Amri. They put in a young kid to creep, to creep, just to keep the energy up. But at the same time, if he, if he's not there, Kairun is there. Uh, yeah, Amri is there. So they, they still have quality up front, and they still can somehow uh, have a makeshift attack, not just two up front, maybe three up front. You know that you never know with this with this bunch mm. of players. Mm. Mm. Farah, I want to come to you because we feel like we haven't heard from you all uh, podcast long. But I want to come to you okay. with Tempris because I know you you used to cover Tempris a lot during your time doing the SPL. Uh, what do you make of their defence? Because they clearly have a problem defending. Young defence, yes, but they've considered 23. Joint second worst alongside Palestia who have troubles of their own. Surely they need to do something about it, no? I mean, you would think that they would need to do something about it, but it feels like Gavin would is, a, is the kind of man who would just stick with it and make sure. Like, I mean, considering what we've seen, especially last season, I think he's the kind of man who would stick with it and try and make that work. I mean, at the start of the season, 
the first thing we noticed about their defense was the fact that they were very young, especially the fact that they were very young. So I, I, I don't want to say that this is expected in terms of their defense, but I think almost every week, a week in, week out, I've been saying that, at least me, I've been saying that I kind of not, I won't even expect them to keep a clean sheet because defensively they're always just suspect in that in that in that sense. But saying in saying that, I don't know if that's something Templars would be too worried about in like, oh, starting at the start of the season, I want to keep this many clean sheets because in the game of football at the end of the day, you just want to finish as high as possible with as many points as possible, right? So if at the end of the day, not keeping a clean sheet but winning the game is what is the story of that night, it wouldn't really matter, right? But having said that, of course it is a concern. Will they change anything about it? That one, I'm not too sure. I, I don't think Gavin would change anything. I don't think Gavin would change anything. I think he will just stick to it and improve on whatever that he's trying to do at this point. I think, that's what, exactly what I've seen yeah. like last season. That's yeah. exactly what no, he has. He has plan A and then if plan A doesn't work, let's work until plan A works. Let's mm. yeah. mm. work until plan A works. So you can't change your defenders at this point of time. Right. They are, I don't think they are going to make any additions as well in the team uh, during the transfer window. So they have a very young uh, defensive line. Yamashita, Ryan Sanizal, Arifan Najib, or Adam Rivdi, and Irfan Shah who is like 33. He's the only old guard over there. Mm. And they have a more or less stable goalkeeper. But at the same time, if you have that, that kind of uh, style of play and then you have that amount of experience in your back line, even if you put, you know, with a check or whoever is in goal, it's still quite <laughs> difficult to to you know stop conceding. Yeah. So it's, it's again Gavin being Gavin, he would just continue to improve whatever he wants to play, and again try to score or outscore opponents. Attack is the best form of defense, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see how they cope because I agree with you. Attack is the best form of defense, and with Tempanis. That seems to be the formula, right? They, the way they have balanced their team as well, you can see it's a bit top-heavy. And I don't expect them to sign anybody. Like, the police are not a signing club. You know what I mean? Like They're not going to go out and splash the cash. And again, they're a club who are in AFC Cup action. So I hope they at least show that up for that competition because you can sometimes get away with it in the Singapore Premier League, but maybe not so much in continental competition. But it'll be interesting to see. Exactly. Okay, guys, that's the Game Week 11 review done and dusted. Let us move on because by the time this pod goes out, the mid-season transfer window will already be open. So, you know what, let's just cut to the chase. Who needs to do what and what rumours have been floating about? I mean, just now Hidi already gave us a little taste. What is Zainul? Do you want to touch on, uh, on that a little bit more? I think Zainul has been seen at the stands in every couple of games, yeah. uh, uh, single Hogang game for quite some time. And I think he's just uh, uh, waiting for the transfer window to open to be signed. I mean, he's already wearing the Haugang kit and all that mm. and mm. bringing the pitch after the game is over. Uh, but at the same time, he's also... I mean, he he's he's, a, he's doing... He's at SCDF, you know, wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know how it works, whether he can play or not. But if, if he can't play, he wouldn't be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I more or less, Zainal is going to be signing for... For Haugang and uh, it's a good addition, especially with the loss of Ridwan Bawudin. And I think that uh, I, I I seriously didn't know that Mukun was 24 years old. I thought as Mukun was 23. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, between Dainul Gulam, who has more experience and Mukun, who doesn't have that much experience, I think looking at it, they are trying to put in more experience in the in goal. And then, uh, at the same time, we saw Barry coming back at uh, social media. So, I don't know where is he going to be playing his trade. Maybe back in Gelang, if I'm wrong. Possible, possible. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Gelang, they, they, I feel they, they have to look for a defender in the transfer window and there is one defender readily available because he's not being selected by his club. I'm not going to mention names, but if you follow Singapore football, you would know who we are talking about. And yeah, that's a move that makes sense to me. I feel the said defender has uh, used up all his chances in the way of disciplinary issues and he just needs to get his head right and play some football. And if Gelang need a defender, why not? That move seems but, to make but sense. You, but do you think Gelang really needs a defender? Uh, I've, uh, to start with, uh, they need players. That much I tell yeah. you. Because, uh, you know what I mean? They just need warm bodies at this point because they can't have kids on the bench all the time, right? You want some competition for places. And I think they need leadership. And as much as said defender may not be renowned for his leadership, I do feel the said defender will bring experience and lots of. Uh, uh, I mean, he's the said defender has played for the national team. Fuck it, the said defender is Tajeli Slamat. So it looks likely that he's he's going to uh, add some experience. And is it a move that makes career sense for him? I don't think so. But because he's going from the top club in Singapore to the bottom, has club he in ever Singapore, done things that made sense? That's a that's a that's a separate podcast altogether. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. At least he gets game time and a second chance or third. Yeah, 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 definitely. But I, th- I mean, why I feel okay. I mean, Gilang not renowned for having a lot of money to to, to pay players to to splash. But I think what they need more now is somebody in attack to change a little bit of variation in how they they play up front. Uh, but with Joshua Pereira coming in, they are more or less stabilized in midfield. And for me, they, their defense is quite okay. Right? Of course, there are not going to be a lot of uh, players uh, challenging for places, but their need now, as to me, is as, uh, someone in attack who can mm. provide something else besides Hazwan, besides uh, Vincent or Huzaifa, who can be you know predictable. I mean, the way they play is already predictable, and when you have the same players playing all the time, it's more predictable than ever. Uh, but then again, who are, who who do they have at this point of time in terms of the local players? And I don't think they're going to change any foreign players as well. Yeah. That's the thing. I was just going to say that I think I take the Russian's point in the, or is it your point in the sense that they just need as many players as they can. <laughs> mm. at, at the end of the day, it's just not looking good for them in any shape or form. So whoever they can get on board, I would just take it. But I, I, I do feel I agree with you and maybe defence is not the most urgent a, a, a point for them to address. But when you're in the situation that Gelang in, it's, sorry to say this, but I don't think beggars can be choosers. You're not selling me a project to join Gelang. You're just selling me football week in, week out. So I don't think Gelang have the liberty of choice to go out there and tell, for example, LCS, hey, uh, Anaki is not getting any minutes. Give me Anaki for the rest of the season. You know what I mean? They don't have the liberty to do that. So I think they're just getting what they can. And speaking of which, I do feel LCS had a, huge squad that they stacked up for the AFC Champions League competition. Now that that's over, there might be players who are not going to get enough game time with uh, just the league and the cup. So possibly we might see a few players go out on loan to other uh, SPL clubs, which should be interesting. The names that spring to mind for me is Hamish Shahin has obviously struggled for game time. It would be good for him to play his trade in midfield somewhere. There are a few different teams who need reinforcements in midfield, Kehlang being one of them, but there are plenty of other teams as well, right? So it would be interesting. Yeah, I think uh, moving forward, if you look at 
Palace here. I mean, you've already mentioned so many times that they need somebody in midfield. Hami would be a good choice. Uh, I mean, Akbar's son, Saifullah, would be a good choice as well. He hasn't been playing a lot. He hasn't been getting enough chances, you know. So, for him to be to be called up in the national team, I mean, for me, it's something that is big question mark. But, uh, you know, he has the opportunity now to go on loan to a club who's trying to play football. You're not just you know trying to be direct and trying to be Wimbledon, mm. <laughs> and then and uh, you know it's it's gonna be a good opportunity for him to get a playing time, you know, to get a confidence back up again. So these two players from LCA should be trying to look elsewhere, and then Belasio would be an ideal ideal choice for me. I'm sure we're all hoping for a very interesting transfer window, but I think before we end this, I just want to ask who needs to do the most this transfer window. Are, are we gonna see? plenty of activity or are we just going to see people just I mean clubs I think very very I think Manchester United will be doing too no sorry different podcast uh, no no I, by the way of the SPL I, I, I don't know who's going to be doing the most business club like LCS ain't going to be splashing the money because their business is done at the start of the season so I think it'll be clubs like possibly your Ballesters who've had interesting starts to the season and could push on possibly from here um I doubt Haugang are going to be in business apart from Zainul. Uh, if you ask me, I I would think Ballester might be the busiest. Geelang possibly might be second busiest. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, I think those yeah. are the teams that who are at the bottom of the table or close to the bottom of the table who wants to uh, change their luck around or turn their luck around. So they need the reinforcements. They know now what what uh, is lacking, and it's, uh, it really depends on what's available on the market. Hopefully, uh, players who have who have been forced. To retire, yeah, can make a comeback. You know, who has, who still can contribute, players like Madu or Isday, for example. But well, let's see, it could be interesting. Well, guys, it has been an a delightful episode as always. And with that, I mean, I feel like time always always flies when we do this. But unfortunately, we have come to the end of the SPL podcast of this episode. And again, a massive thank you to Hidir for always being game and coming on and being, and Raushan as well, being as honest as possible every single episode. I'm sure everyone appreciates it. Now to you guys at home as well, I feel like we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. So thank you once again for supporting us week in and week out. Now, as the league takes a break, so will we because we need it too. But we're always available across all our socials at the final whistle as well as Russian says and at Paranise. So don't be shy to hit us up and slide into our DMs in regards to anything Singapore Premier League. Thank you once again, guys, and we will see you after the break. Bye.